the gold medal opened so many doors, you have to be ready to walk through those doors as they open. I think sometimes we have our head down, we're sad, we're thinking about the glass is half empty as opposed to half full, and don't recognize those opportunities when we see them and we don't seize them. And there have been many times when I've had to shake myself and say, you know what, Benita, this is an opportunity you can't let slip you by without at least trying. And it feels so out of the box in some cases. Welcome to How Women Inspire, where women lead, invest, and give. I'm your host, Julie Castro-Abrams, founder and CEO of How Women Lead and managing partner of the venture firm How Women Invest, feminist, social justice warrior, mother, friend of 50,000 plus badass women, and an expert at helping top executive women get on boards and break down barriers for women entrepreneurs, investors, and social impact activists. In this podcast, we interview women influencers and leaders from across the globe who are in the C-suite, founding companies, investing, and agents of change. We'll share stories of how women lead. We'll provide insights and data, tips you can put into action, and get to know the women who have fiercely and unabashedly stepped into their power in leadership and open doors for other women like you. We discuss topics ranging from the journey of getting a board seat, how we can counter cultural frameworks that change the way the world views women leaders, what we're doing to close the gender funding gap, and driving equity for women in all aspects of life and career. My goal is that after every episode, you walk away feeling inspired, unstoppable, ready to level up and step into your power and influence. I want to break down the cultural narratives that hold us back collectively and those messy messages you heard that are taking up way too much of your brain space. I want you to know you're invited in because I know that together we can change the culture change opportunities, and create the future we want for our daughters and sisters and friends. This is our time. Are you in? Welcome to How Women Inspire. Our guest today is an Olympic gold medalist and an established international leader in sports and business. She has a passion for helping people and organizations win gold medals in life and work. Most recently, she was appointed as the new CEO to Multiplying Good, the nation's leading nonprofit focused on fueling personal growth and leadership through public service. With over 20 years of experience leading organizations, she aims to bring her vast leadership and media experience while leading the organization to the next chapter of growth and success. Welcome. Benita Mosley. I'm Thank so excited to so spend much. time with you today. The first time I met you, I was like, this woman is so fierce, such a badass. Before we get into sort of a, a little bit more about you, let's actually go to the fun stuff. I really love to hear when you think about like what you need in a moment where you need to be uplifted or a moment of celebration. Do you have a song that's your go-to? It's probably kind of a uh, cliche, but it's We Are the Champions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, I was a girl athlete. Rocky was my thing. Yeah. 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 I love that. I love that. You know, those formative things, right? (laughs) 
I love that. Well, okay. I can't wait to hear about how you help everybody win gold medals in life. I, I think I'm batting a silver right now. So I, I, I want to get to the gold. <laughs> uh, okay. I know everybody would love to hear about how did you get into it as a kid? Was there somebody in your family that was like pushing you in sports or how did that even come um, Well, I have two p- parents, well, had my, both my parents are deceased now. God bless them. But Amazing people born pre-civil rights. They were born during the Great Depression and before and, and Jim Crow and all that kind of stuff and somehow managed themselves to rise above it all, not have a chip on their shoulder, get advanced degrees and become major community leaders and educators and administrators. And so you so had a good foundation. Had a great a foundation. Um, yeah. My mom uh, helped to desegregate the public school system in, in the oh. county in which I live now and grew up. And so there's a school named after her oh on a street is named after me. Oh, yeah. So the street was named for me after I won my gold medal. And then, then the street oh was named after my mom several years later that sits on 15500 Benita Fitzgerald Drive, Fanny W. Fitzgerald Elementary School. So my sister teaches there. She's taught there since You're kidding. in 2008. My oh niece went to school there. This is not their base school, but they, oh my, my sister brought them, her twin daughters to school. So they went K through five at that school. So yeah, it's a family so affair. Cool. So, mm-hmm. at, you know, as educators, they were as focused on our grades in the classroom as they were in providing extracurricular activities for us and enrichment activities. My dad loves to, you know, take us on bike rides and take us to museums and plays and concerts. And we played musical instruments. My sister and I both were first chair flute in our high school and piccolo. And my dad played piano. So music, sports. And so they introduced us to all these different things. I wasn't very good at most of it to be honest, until I found flute and until I found track. And I found track because the gymnastics coach, I was on the gymnastics team in middle school and the gymnastics coach realized I was not. You're too big. (laughs) At 5'10", that I grew to be. Those long legs Um, could be put to better use. (laughs) And 35-inch inseam probably could be put to better use. And she was also the track coach. Her name is Gwen Washington. She's my middle school PE teacher. And she said, you know, I see you beat all the boys in PE class. And I want you to come out for my track team. And the rest is history. There we go. Oh, that's fantastic to hear. I mean, it sounds like so many magical gifts all along the way. You're truly blessed. How does that translate then to you as a leader and a CEO? You mentioned earlier that I talked about my personal mission is to help people and organizations win gold medals in life and business. I feel like my gold medal is the gift that keeps on giving. And I just want to pay that gift forward to as many people as I can. And so even though I have an industrial engineering degree, I've worked in the for-profit side as an engineer and more recently for a startup called League Apps. Most of my career has been working for -for not-for-profit organizations and or leading them. And I feel like I resonate with the mission of these organizations and want to use my skills and my gifts to help propel those organizations forward and the people in them. So that's how I try to do that. I think I've been blessed with the gift of leadership and the ability just from a building strategy and executing strategy well and identifying those initiatives within an organization that really 
propel the mission forward. And so that's what I'm doing now at, at Multiplying Good as the new CEO. I've been there just under two months. So your mission at Multiplying Good, maybe how, how does that get into play operationally? Yeah, the mission is to cultivate greatness through service to others. And we founded over 50 years ago by Jackie Kennedy Onassis, a guy named Sam Beard, a guy named Senator Robert Taft Jr. And they wanted to be the, the Nobel Prize for public service in America. It was kind of their uh, idea that service can bridge so many cultural and racial political divides. It was yeah. in a similar situation as we are today where there is a lot of divisiveness. And they thought by celebrating service and the good work that people are doing nationally and locally, that that was a way to bring people together and uh, put good back into the narrative. And so we really do three things. We connect local and national leaders to create this mega force for good. We are reaching out and our goal is to reach a million young people and engage them to become empathic leaders for the future. And we celebrate service as a vehicle for social cohesion. So we do the Jefferson Awards every year. We've given away over 65,000 awards to local unsung heroes, as well as national leaders from Jimmy Carter to Oprah Winfrey to Shaquille O'Neal or Justice Sotomayor. It's, it's been a who's who. I can only imagine. Oh, sounds like you spent your whole day like inspired and, and connected. The greatest among us, and inspiring yes. people to be better—that's magnificent. But there's there's all kinds of local unsung heroes doing amazing work as well, and we want to shine a spotlight mm-hmm. on them. Like I said, over sixty-five thousand people have been presented with Jefferson Awards over the fifty-one years of our existence, and so that's why I was inspired to come. I figured uh, as CEO that I think using my gifts and talents of leading all sorts of different organizations, both sports organizations, as well as kind of uh, more nonprofit charity related. It's just been a joy to come here and delve into the goodness that is multiplying good. Well, you sound like, I mean, literally your life's path feels like this is what it was moving towards. Like in every way, this sort of fits perfectly with everything that you shared with me about what's gone on for you. So what would you say personally inspired you to live this life of service? You had a pretty darn good example in your family. I mean, that's the main thing, right? It's my mom and dad and and seeing their service. Both my grandfathers were Baptist ministers. And my (laughs) mother's father was also a civil rights leader. My uncle or civil rights leaders, my mom in her own right was by desegregating the public school system. And so seeing people use their platform to advance life for people around them and people in their community and beyond has inspired me to do the same thing. So I've been cut from the same cloth as those amazing people who came before me. Okay, so you want to inspire young people to get into service. And what is the vehicle that you're (laughs) doing that with. It sounds like you're certainly amplifying the examples for them. Uh, Absolutely. Through the, through the celebration yeah, right. um, and connecting the idea of, of service to this idea of bridging the, the cultural divides, but in, in creating this social cohesion, but cultivating these leaders we do through our students in action program. Yeah. And we are serving thousands of kids around the country in local communities. We have 11 local chapters where we have SAA teams and high schools across those communities, and they both do service learning and service projects. We are developing leadership skills through service, and we are helping them 
to execute service projects in their mm-hmm. communities where they not only do it themselves, the 20 or 30 kids on this SIA team or students in action team, but they engage the whole student body in that work yeah. as well. Well, and I don't know, we've, we've seen such an epidemic, a crisis really of young people's mental health and feeling, you know, the, the COVID has really done a number on everybody. And, the uh, uh, Surgeon General has said there's a crisis, an epidemic of loneliness and social isolation. And he has a kind of a six pillar strategy and two of those strategies speak directly to how bringing people together through service at the community level can be a vehicle for addressing this social isolation that is such so well, prevalent. I've, I've always, you know, said, and especially to my kids, it's like, if you're feeling sad or depressed, helping somebody else is like the best way to, you Absolutely. Know, to, to get yourself, to pull yourself out of it. Now, not clinical depression and, you know, all those, yes. lots of reasons why that, that that is limited as a solution, but for sort of the, that sense of loneliness or sense of like, stuff's tough in my life. It's good to have perspective. You have so much to give. And I think people want to know, how do I start? And my advice is, what are your own personal gifts? What's your area of expertise? What things do you love to do? What gifts can you share? Start with that. Uh, People are multi-billionaires and they can give money. And other people, you know, have a business where they can give away products or services. But as an individual, maybe you love music and you play a musical instrument. Well, go to the local school or go to a local organization and help teach kids how to play a musical instrument. Oh, I mean, that's, yeah. that's valuable to them. It's valuable in their kind of social, emotional development. It's giving them access to skills that they otherwise might not have access to. And so yeah, that's just one example, but there, you know, some people are great cooks. Well, go cook in a soup k- kitchen for, you know, the weekend or something. And so find those things that you love to do and there, or that you're really good at and start there. That's magnificent. I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing. So you are recently appointed new CEO. What is your vision for where you want to take the organization? Yeah, that's what I was saying about, you know, really connecting people and creating this net mega force for good. It's reaching these 1 million young people, having engaging them in service, creating and developing empathic leaders, and really emphasizing how and why we think service can be a solution for some of society's ills today. Is there a role for people listening to this? So I would say in general, the people listening to this podcast are 40 to 70 year old women. What can we do to support this effort and knowing how critical it is for our families? Yeah, absolutely. We're at multiplyinggood.org. So look there that among the 11 chapters, and you may be actually living in the, in the backyard of, of one of our chapters. Some are in bigger cities like Chicago or Minneapolis or New York or LA, and others are in South Carolina or in Indiana. So uh, there's some smaller towns and larger towns. I think really the main thing is we're trying to inspire greatness through service to others. That's the mission. And so my challenge, I think, to you is to figure out ways to serve your community. Maybe get outside your comfort zone. Maybe reach out to an organization or organizations where you feel like you can provide your expertise and your help and your support. Just encourage you to do that because every little bit helps. And that's how you're going to create that ripple and multiply. Yeah, exactly. good. That's what we talk about. Yeah. So how is winning the gold medal really 
set the foundation for this and impacted your life. Clearly, your parents were social justice leaders, amazing educators and parents. I don't, did they know they were going to have a gold medalist in there? Oh, they had, had their no list? idea. They had no idea. I mean, I guess it became apparent towards the end of high school. I was, you know, top five in the country in my respective events. And so they got a clue that I got a scholarship offers to from 70 different major universities. And so they got a clue that, that something was brewing here. And I made my first Olympic team at 18 years old. So it came together pretty quickly. And I just remember their faces as I was going around the first turn to get to my parents in the Olympic Stadium in Los Angeles in the Coliseum. Oh, my and God. Seeing their faces, I mean, it was just complete and total disbelief. I mean, I'm sure they're thinking to themselves, I was, my parents were born in 29 and 30. My dad was born right before the stock market crashed yeah. in 1929. And so they had seen the worst of uh, the country, the worst of humanity through Jim Crow and living in the South. And here they are in Olympic Stadium at the Olympic Games where their daughter's carrying the American flag and a victory lap. They were just minds completely blown. And so I feel like I said this earlier, every aspect of my life has been impacted by winning a gold medal and in a positive way, every job I've ever had somehow connects back to someone who knew me because, right. right or someone I knew because of another avenue through the Olympics. My, I met my husband because well, Olympic two Olympic friends of mine were connected and he, they were both connected to him. And he ended up being in the same town at the same time and hung out, have two beautiful children, thanks to meeting my husband. And uh, I mean, not all, Olymp- yeah, not all Olympians, though, can transition to really use that. Oh, difficult. A lot of people struggle. You it's know, it's difficult. Aren't getting the boost of. I remember, I mean, during the time I was transitioning from running into just being an engineer full time and to go from traveling the world and being on the cover of magazines and tell in accolades everywhere, accolades everywhere. And, you know, every day training so that to the best of your ability and being the best in the world at what you do and having to start all over again from the bottom of the barrel and climb your way back up in kind of corporate America is difficult. And I've done everything I was supposed to do. I got my degree. I'd been starting, you know, working while I was still competing, but the bottom feels like it falls out. And I think having that support system around you that can tell you that you can do it, that encourages you is important. And I also would say, as I said, the gold medal opens so many doors. You have to be ready to walk through those doors as they open. I think sometimes we have our head down, we're sad, we're thinking about what the glass is half empty as opposed to half full. And don't recognize those opportunities when we see them and we don't seize them. And and there have been many times when I've had to do that. I've had to shake myself and say, you know what, Benita, this is an opportunity you can't let it slip you by without at least trying. And yeah. it feels so out of the box in some cases to even go do something like that. I remember when I got the opportunity to be CEO of Women in Cable Telecommunications. I, at the time, was director of Olympic Training Centers. How does that translate to the being in the cable industry and leading mm-hmm. a CEO, going from a director to CEO, going from, you know, that's that's a huge leap. But when the opportunities arise, you got to yeah. step forward. Well, I mean, the philosophers will tell us the human condition is that we need to be striving towards a goal. Once you have no goal, it's hard to feel 
inspired in, in life. And we start, you know, you see that certainly with people who are aging, right? But I see a lot of Olympians. It's like, you get to a gold medal. What's next? Like, that's it. That's it's the post-Olympic blahs, they call yeah. it. Yeah, and you got to start it's over. A thing. It is a thing. <laughs> It is definitely a thing. Oh, it, it it sure is. I mean, I even have that, like, I'll do a big event you plan for all year yeah. long. And the day after, you feel a little depressed because, like, the letdown yeah. of your endorphins and all the stuff that you were focusing on, Um, even if it was perfect, right? Even if you get it takes, takes a minute to recover. Oh, it sure does. And I think just understanding that, what is your message you want young girls to know about this striving, but also about leading and those doors that are open maybe for them? Yeah, I think it's advice for young women in particular, in young girls, but I think it's sound advice for for anyone. I had an aha moment on the track the summer before the Olympics. Well, the summer of the Olympics, a few weeks before. It was after the Olympic trials. I made the Olympic team. Uh, For those of you who don't know, the track and field team is selected by having a one big track meet. People, you qualify for the Olympic trials and the top three make the team. Everybody doesn't matter if you had the sniffles that day and you're the best in the world. You you can fall over the hurdle. You pull a hamstring, you just have a bad day, you you just, someone's better than you that day, but every other time you beat them day before yesterday, it doesn't matter. Top three make the team, everybody else goes home. And so I made the Olympic team and prior, you know, this is 1983 and the first world championships had been the year before. I'd gotten eight at, at the in the world championships. So I was top 10 in the world already, but the girls that had beaten me, many of whom were from Eastern Bloc countries or in some cases had historically beaten me. And I, I think I approached the meet hoping I'd make the final. Well, I made the final, but I didn't really think beyond that. And then what? <laughs> but I got last in the final because my, as you talk about goals, I didn't really set a goal to get on the podium. I didn't set a goal to, you know, set an American record or something like that. And so the race is over and this British girl named Shirley Strong had beaten me. And I sat next to her. We're putting our, you know, sweats and stuff back on. And they have a doping thing where they test the top three, but they randomly pick one or two people from the final to, and they picked her. And it's a nerve wracking experience, not to say that she was doping because she wasn't, but she got. Oh yeah. You never know somehow some. uh, She she wasn't, but she just got nervous and she pulled out a cigarette and started smoking. This is at the world track and field championships after kicking my butt in the final of the hundred meter hurdles. And so fast forward a year later, I'm sitting on the track and I'm thinking to myself, and and during that moment, you know, I said to myself, not today, Shirley, not today. I mean, we're we're just not, you're never going to beat me again. Right. And so I fast forward a year, I'm sitting on the track. I'm kind of envisioning being in the Coliseum and, and running this race and finally thought, you know, why not me? Why not me win the gold medal? Why not me stand on top to victory stand? Why not me get to take the victory lap, have the national anthem played in my honor? Why am I thinking about somebody else winning, Shirley winning or so-and-so winning? Or the, This is my time. Why not me? And so I get to the, the Olympics a few weeks later. We get out of the blocks and I'm running down the track and I knock people off one at a time. and and we're like two hurdles from the end. And I see Shirley at the corner of my eye. And I was like, oh, no, not today, Shirley. Not today. And I just feel like God put wings on my feet. And I beat her by four hundredths of a second. Yeah, that's like your nail. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. amazing. So. Um, 
for crying out loud. That is so inspiring. I've literally got tears in my eyes as you, as <laughs> you tell you. that story and just that sense of like, why not me? I don't be there. I'm actually writing a book entitled Why Not Me. Oh, fantastic. And uh, I, it'll be out yeah. in the spring. And every because- girl needs to read that. And every woman, like, I think all really? of us, you know, get to moments where we feel like a little plateau y. Yes. We, we feel like seventh place or whatever the, you know, the lowest yes. place. And we just settle right there. You know what? I'm top 10 in the world. That's good. And and you see these other things out there and you you think, well, maybe that's not for me. Oh, that's her. That's her thing. Or that maybe I shouldn't try that whole imposter syndrome. Right. And this is the antidote to that. Just ask yourself, why not me? Yeah. And you can get caught up in like, well, but I don't have this or I didn't have this or I have some physical thing, whatever it is. We can come up with all kinds of easy reasons. Why not you? Yes. But you're not smoking cigarettes. You can control that, right? There yeah. are a lot of things you can control and that discipline and hard work. I mean, you are absolutely extraordinary. Not only all of that, but then you're like, no, no, I'm actually going to make sure I shine the light on act the people who are making this, caring for their communities. And yes, part of as if you're an athlete, you've got a little bit of the like the hope of the U.S. and America. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And even though sometimes I feel like pretty negative about how things are going, but to me, like your story, your message to all of us is what is that American promise that we haven't yet seen in cases, but yours is an example. You are, I mean, you know, I don't, I know I don't need to tell you this, but you know, you're the American dream, right? You're, you. I feel like I am. I yeah, do. You're feel so I am. close to the history. You know, you're with your parents, like so close to the history of like no opportunity, you know, yeah. cutting off the wings off your feet to like you really leading the country now and showing us all how to make a country where love and service and caring for other people makes us all better. I'm just so honored to know you, Benita, and to call you a friend and to cheerlead you and support your leadership. And I hope everybody who hears us today checks out Multiplying Good and figure out, is there a way you can play a role? Send them a hundred bucks, something. Be part of Multiplying Good because you will feel better. And the kids that are coming up after us that have had such a horrific experience, both in COVID, but also I feel I've spent my entire life trying to make the world a better place working in social sector leadership. And I still feel like we're not leaving the world to our kids the way we wanted it to be. So I think a lot of people I meet feel that way, especially with the erosion of women's rights and stuff. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you for giving us just even for giving us a place where we can all multiply good. um, Which is the antidote to so much for us. Thank you. Thanks, Julie. Thank you. All right, everyone. Let's all multiply the good in the world. Thank you. Have a wonderful day, everyone. And with that, I want to thank you all for listening to today's episode of How Women Inspire. And because your inspiration should not stop when this podcast ends, head over to our website, howwomenlead.com. Follow us on LinkedIn at How Women Lead and subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast app to find out how you can proactively take charge and step into your power through our workshops and activism in our loving network. We want to propel you. See you next time, ladies. And remember to be unabashedly visible.